Come on, America. It's time to grow up and step outside the closet. Tell a friend about your secret and bring out the gayness. Bring out the gayness. Bring out the gayness. Tell a friend about your secret and bring out the gayness. Among all the anus you can get. Christians, preachers, and all the religious right, you're not fooling anyone anymore. It's in the papers every day, so why not catch up with the rest of the world and tell your disciples the truth to set yourself free. Next time you want to reach out for goodness, reach for a handful of ass. Tell a friend about your secret and bring out the gayness. Bring out the gayness. Bring out the gayness. Tell a friend about your secret and bring out the gayness. Tell your disciples that you're gay. You found the place for trans substantiation. The Brit Summers Show. Always get together for a game to have ourselves a manly time. Watching ESPN and damn football on Monday night. So we can look at other guys. Since we all have sports in common, what you say about taking a chance? We'll start a gay club. You know that you want it, so let's bend over and drop our pants. We'll start a gay club and act like a real sports fan. We'll pat our tushies if our favorite team doesn't lose. And then we'll get some lubricated jelly for the old shoot. We'll get the roughest and the toughest macho Julio's we can find. We'll start a gay club. And then we'll play a little grab ass and do a little bump and grind. We'll start a gay club and find out who's circumcised. We'll start a gay club. 95.3 FM, 1470, WWN, and the Brit Summers Show. Hi, everybody. This is Brit Summers coming at you live from a nation of television zombies. Yeah, it's the post-apocalyptic zombie nation, only they don't walk around going, and uh, try to eat your brains or, or anything like that. No, they just sit in front of the TV and drool. I'm going to start out this week with something a little different. I'm going to go into a history lesson. Uh, We're going to put the uh, orange disease aside for a moment, as long as I could possibly do it, Uh, because this is uh, Gay Pride Month and the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And what I want to do here is get the record, if you'll pardon the pun, (laughs) I want to get the record straight, because there's been an attempt lately... Lately, I'm going to tell you how these cycles go uh, to uh, erase the influence that the transgender community had on Stonewall. Because lately, lately, the focus has been on gay men. Well, I was, real quick, (laughs) it was the first time in the LGBT community in history, it marked the very first time where gay men, lesbians, and transgenders united. They created a united front. Back in June uh, 69, appropriate year. And lately, lately, the powers that pee are erasing the significance uh, of the uh, transgender participation. It it wasn't like that for a while. Again, this is the uh, significance of the cycles that history goes in. Uh, But now I'll give you the uh, rundown, an easy to understand rundown on what Stonewall is without getting uh, philosophical about it and all that and all teary-eyed and hand-wringing. I'm just going to give you the facts on what happened and the history behind the Stonewall Inn, which uh, actually uh, was originally named Bonnie's Stonewall. We'll get into that later. But most importantly, the, the pride parades that they're having across the country this month and in this town here... Uh, <laughs> I would say about 95 
5% of everybody participating in the Gay Pride, the Stonewall Anniversary Gay Pride Parade. About 95% of them, <clears throat> I would wager that uh, they don't know what the hell Stonewall is. Just, just think it's a name for a fun time to have at a parade. And, and, and that's why I, I don't go to the parade, because I don't want to paint myself blue. I have my own ways of celebrating a gay pride month. I don't have to march in a parade and paint sparkles on my face. Or wear Elton John glasses like that uh, Randy Rainbow does. Uh... <laughs> And if I was wearing Elton John glasses, how would you know? I could use a pair because uh, my eyes are getting very bad. But uh, <laughs> they look lovely, but they can't see too well. Um, the significance here is that the the gay... Um, I'm talking about gay men who uh, started the uh, civil rights movement for LGBT in the 50s with the Mattachine... I think it's Mattachine. Mattachine Society... And that, that started in, way back in 1950. That was really the very first uh, LGBT uh, civil rights group movement. It started in L.A. You would think San Francisco, but actually it's Los Angeles. And they commented a story uh, a little bit later. But what happened was the 70s. And then the gay men went that way and the transgenders went their way. And they went this way and they went that way and they separated and whatever. Uh there's such a thing called reverse discrimination. And I don't know when it began. Uh, I mean, the LGBT was a, a unified segment of society at one point, but then uh, something happened. I don't know this part. Uh, when I got into the life, uh, back in the early aughts, uh, there was a, a lot of uh, animosity towards not just me, but any transgenders. Uh, with the gay community. <laughs> I remember uh, walking into a particular gay bar. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name, but they're local here. Um, very well known. And I'm talking 2001, 2002. And uh, several of us walked in. Trans girls walked in. And uh, we heard the backbiting. We heard the stuff. We heard the muttering. We, you, you got your radar up for that sort of thing. And then the heads go down as you walk by. And then you get the dirty looks. And uh, all the way up to 2010 at Neil Rogers Memorial Service, which was in a, a gay community called Wilton Manors. And it was at the manor. And uh, I was outside talking with friends. And a gay couple walked by. And I heard one say to the other, don't look at her. Don't even look at her. So as with any segment of society, you always get a few assholes that, uh, or a few ignoramuses that uh, screw things up for everybody, and they were there. But then 2015 came along, and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of gay marriage. And uh, that set off a firestorm of pre-written uh, bills to be distributed in certain states, namely Florida. Uh, called the bathroom bills. It was 2015 when that started. And once again, the uh, gay men teamed up with the transgender part of LGBT and uh, they created a unified front and in most cases were very successful defeating these bills. Uh, and ever since then, it's been okay. Somehow it brought us back together because I'm in several political groups that are primarily... And other than the usual politicking and backbiting that usually happens in a group of people, none of it's really directed at me. Uh, it's just uh, the usual thing you find when, when you're with a group of people. Uh, and uh, generally, I can say that most of the gay men that are friends in my life are uh, the nicest people. Um, and it's hard to believe that there's anybody in the gay community that feels animosity anymore towards transgenders. Uh, but I guess there are. But it was up until 2015. It was really prevalent. You did notice it. And why did gay men have that animosity towards trans women? Uh, and some, sadly, still do. Why? I don't know. Or to put it another way... I don't 
And for the most part, uh, it's been okay, except there's been a few exceptions. Still, that attitude prevails in certain areas with certain people. Case in point, just a few weeks ago in Dallas, Texas, uh, a trans woman was uh, refused admission to a gay nightclub. And uh, that was a minor story that popped up online. Um, and turns out it was the, the owner of the nightclub didn't want any trans women in there. And this was a gay uh, nightclub. Uh, but then again, it's Texas. <laughs> no! There's been some speculation, and I've asked a few of my gay friends what, what they what they can how they can come up with a reason why I, I mean there's not one transgender person in the world that uh, has any animosity against uh, gay men uh, we like them they're nice uh, but for some reason uh, not so much now like i said up until 2015 there was some like real uh, hostility towards us not violence just like uh, standoffish type stuff it's like we had cooties. And the best that uh, answer I can get from the gay friends that I do have now uh, is that perhaps they thought us T-girls were going to steal their boyfriends away from them. And I have to say, that has to be... Uh, if anybody's that stupid to think that... <laughs> uh, the, the men who are attracted to girls like me are, are not attracted to gay men. So nobody's stealing nothing away. And that was never even a, a thought. I, I like, and I just I, that I cannot understand. Um, the gay friends that I do have, they were never that way, and uh, don't understand it either. It's just I, I don't know. It's just in every segment of society, you get that type of derision. I guess. Uh, I, I I like I said. I don't know. That's what Stonewall means to me because it means it see it shows you the advancements you can make for a segment of society for your own equality and civil rights when you have a unified front, and that's what happened in 1969. Kind of like uh, by rote, <clears throat> not that it was planned, but what they don't tell you uh, in the. Uh, Stonewall, there's two Stonewall movies. Don't watch the, the new one that came out, what, a year ago, two years ago? It sucks. It's wrong. And it's like trans, trans women didn't exist. Or at best, incidental. And and I, while I'm on its subject, I like John Waters. Uh, I, I don't personally have a problem with him, but he has a problem with transgenders. Uh, he was talking about Stonewall on Mars. It was like, yes, well, the, the, the gays rose up against the police. You know, okay, simplify it in a race. Uh, and in this newest Stonewall movie, which blows, do not watch it, there's hardly any participation with by the transgenders. Well, there is another one, a Stonewall movie, which is a fictional account, but it's, it's actually closer than the new one. It came out in 95, just simply called Stonewall. That's kind of accurate. Only in a sense that it's, it's more accurate because these gay activists from the 50s and 60s, uh, a, a Randy Wicker and another guy named Frank Hamity uh, with the uh, Mattachine Society. Now, if you've never heard of the Mattachine Society, then like I said, they were the very, very first well-organized LGBT civil rights advocacy group. And Mattachine was the name of a fictional character who was jester in a king's court. And in a, and in a sense, it means he spoke truth to authority. Kind of like what, what this show is. <laughs> kind of like what a lot of shows are. Daily shows has always been like that. Uh, I guess you could say Bill Maher. Anyway, I'm getting off the topic. And Stonewall started out, it was a bar rest slash restaurant. It opened in uh, 1930 during Prohibition, the Olmsted Act, and uh, the original owner of <laughs> his name, his name was Vinnie Bonavia, and they called him Bonnie for short, so it was called Bonnie's Stonewall Inn, and uh, it was uh, <laughs> billed as a tea room for the, uh, at the time, uh, the, it was frequented by lesbians. Uh, the lesbians from the village would go there, 
Uh, but at nighttime, the whole thing changed. They'd go there for lunch, and at nighttime, it became a uh, speakeasy. And then it got raided. It wasn't the first time they had a police raid on the place. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't really known at the time uh, to be a gay bar or anything other than uh, maybe lesbians having lunch there during the day. Uh, but at night, it was like any other speakeasy that would get raided periodically. And uh, eventually, they shut it down. Uh, and then it reopened as the, the Stonewall Inn. Uh, and it meandered on uh, for several years as a, uh, again, as a restaurant bar. After uh, alcohol was legal again, it just, it just resumed what it used to be. Up until 1964, uh, when a, a fire took the place out and then they were closed for another couple of years and then in 1966 uh the mob at the time because i'm going to get into this they were exploiting the gay community but because uh they couldn't go anywhere else so what the the mob did was they opened uh gay bars for them to go to of course uh they were <laughs> it was not a uh, as simple as that but as a Greenwich Village became more gay, it naturally became a gay establishment, and then uh, eventually became, I guess you could call it a drag bar, because they had drag shows there, and it wasn't just drag performers, but transgenders themselves, and of course you had your share of hookers go in there. Uh, but really, uh, the focus is on Stonewall itself, but actually the entire city had outlawed being gay, or dressing in women's clothes. I'll tell you something about Florida. And then up until the 1960s, uh, up until, no, it was the 1970s, actually, in the, in the uh, penisula of Florida, it was against the law to be transgender in any way. So the only way you could get ID to uh, drive somewhere or be seen in public or whatever it was, you had to get a what was called a clown license in Florida. You had to obtain a clown license. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my case, it would make sense, right? Uh, if you were going to drive somewhere or be seen in public, that was your ID. Because other than that, you get arrested for impersonating a woman. And that was the same, a similar law uh, in, uh, in New York City. But they did not have the exception about getting a clown license. They just uh, fined you or uh, arrested you overnight or something like that. It was... Uh, a law that started with the uh, Depression. And naturally, you had your right-wingers out there just like you do now. Uh, had, you got to blame somebody. Naturally, it was the Christians behind it. And, and, and like they blamed the gays for hurricanes. They Back in the 30s, they blamed the gays for uh, uh, the Depression because of the frivolity of the 20s. That's, that was their logic. And, and that kind of logic still flies. So... Uh, that put a blemish on uh, LGBT. And then in the 40s, uh, there were, uh, I don't know how many, there, there'll never be an accurate count. But there were all kinds of gay troops that served in World War II. And uh, it kind of shut them up for a little while, a little while. and then went, But when the uh, Red Book came out in 1947 and the McCarthy hearings and all that, it was another fear tactic to say it if you're gay, you're a commie. So in the 50s, they really clamped down on anybody who was gay, especially in New York City. And, and believe it or not, in Los Angeles, too. But in New York, it was especially bad because they just didn't arrest you. They beat you, the cops. Now, that takes us up to the 1960s, uh, where being gay was illegal in, in liberal democratic New York. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it was illegal to be gay. Now, gay men had few places to meet in the early to mid-60s. They had to meet in uh, parked trailers. They had like floating clubs and parked semi-trailers because they weren't allowed in the clubs. They, weren't, they wouldn't get served drinks. And I'm talking in Greenwich Village too. In the gay area, they couldn't drink. I'll tell you something else about uh, the 1960s New York, how anti-gay it was. One of the uh, first, there were others, of course, but uh, and you hear my jingles there, uh, WABC 77, the powerhouse rocker in New York up until 1982. And then uh, they had the greatest lineup of disc jockeys. Uh, and one of them was gay. And he was Bob Lewis, uh, otherwise known as 
Babalu. Babalu, the big daddy, reminding you, if you want your Babalu button, you make sure and write to Babalu, WABC, New York 23, New York. That's Babalu, WABC, New York 23 for a Babalu button. And don't forget to include a stamp self-addressed envelope. Wednesday landslide setting the die variable people first for the past, letting the time slide roll. It's free, you don't need a die. We're in the groove yard. It's finger popping time. Yeah, Baba Lou was gay. He was he, <clears throat> and and I would like to know, and I read Rick Sklar's book. He mentioned it. And everybody on staff knew they just didn't talk about it, but how he kept it a secret for so long. If that got out uh in the mid to late sixties that he was gay in New York, uh that would have been it for Bob Lewis, who uh, went on to other things. He uh, became an, uh, a uh, progressive rocker uh, later on in his career, and he did okay. But he had to keep his mouth. Imagine being a disc jockey back then and having to keep your mouth shut about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, and I'm not going to get into it now. I worked for a pioneer in the radio business, Neil Rogers, who in 1977, 10 years later, came out on the air that he was gay. This is my show, and I'm radio intensive, so I always get off track about that. But <laughs> the Stonewall Inn just so happened to be owned by the mafia. You see, the mafia, not that they were any kind of uh, champions of gay rights. Uh, the mafia was exploiting the gays this way by having drinking establishments they could go to and maybe, maybe blackmail some of the Wall Streeters that went in there sneaking in that had families and were hiding, uh, and uh, things like that. But they made a fortune off the, the gay community. Not that They didn't care who was gay. They had money in their pocket. So that's, that's who owned Stonewall. In fact, Stonewall was owned by the Genovese family. I don't think it was a drugstore Genovese family. <laughs> the real Genovese family. Uh, yeah, I checked into that. No, the drugstores were not part of the Genovese family. Uh, and the uh, proprietor... The, <laughs> the proprietor of Stonewall in the late 60s was a guy who went by the name of Fat Tony. Well, let me say it right. Fat Tony Luria. Yeah, Fat Tony. He was the proprietor, see? And the manager of Stonewall was a guy named Eddie the Skull Murphy. Yeah, Eddie the Skull Murphy. And he was in charge of extortion. So it was his job to... Uh, Get the Wall Street guys in there and the businessmen and all the other that were sneaking under the radar to go see the uh, transgender girls or gay guys. They had both in there and uh, maybe take a picture of them. And it was a private club because they couldn't get a liquor license. So they, it was a private club and they you had to pay a fee or something to get in, a real uh, high fee. And they gave you watered down uh, bottom shelf drinks. And that's how they stayed open, because they bribed the cops. That's how they got around the lures. And that's the way it was in the mid-60s. But what happened at Stonewall was this. Every night, just about every night, uh, they were raided. And it wasn't like they got raided and they just hauled them in and fined them. No, they raided the place, and these cops went in there and beat the crap out of everybody. A little bit different. It was a unit of the 6th Precinct run by a guy named uh, uh, Deputy Inspector Seymour Pine. He wanted to see more pine. That's why he kept going in there and raiding it. Uh, and who doesn't like to see more pine? So uh, he, he turned out to be a real sadistic douchebag and almost made a sport out of going in there every night, raiding the place, and beating the crap out of everybody. And, of course, everybody in the 6th Precinct that's where the bad cops sent the really bad cops to the 6th Precinct. <laughs> they wouldn't even send Tootie and Muldoon to the 6th Precinct. Only the, uh, the real uh, scum of the earth, the, the, the worst cops you can imagine, they were in the 6th Precinct. Now, I should also mention that uh, the, the mayor, Mr. Mayor, uh, whose name was Robert Wagner in the early 60s, not, not, a Rob, not a takes a thief. No, this guy's name was Robert Wagner. And he was a real hardline right winger, and the World's Fair was going to open. So, this is where this guy, uh, Seymour Pine, 
This is where he took advantage of the situation. It wasn't just uh, Stonewall. He was busting up a lot of other gay bars. But he had the most fun with Stonewall because that's where the drag queens were. That's where the uh, transgender girls were. Then when uh, Mayor Lindsay got elected in 66, was it 66? Uh, he did a great job of doing nothing. He, he's like uh, the worst mayor of uh, New York. Well, they had so many bad ones. They got a bad one now. But uh, this <laughs> Lindsay was particularly, he sucked at his job. He was, he was not just corrupt. He was an egotistical, oh, that sound familiar? An egomaniac. Only difference was, uh, compared to Trump, he, at, when he first started, he was a good-looking guy. When he, when he first started, that's before the alcohol kicked in. But, uh, and what did he do about this? Mm, no, well, not as bad. He didn't clamp down like uh, Wagner did. But he turned the other cheek. He had more things to be concerned about, like a garbage strike. So during all of this going on, some of the trans women and and a couple of them uh, are historically significant when it comes to equality and civil rights. Sylvia Rivera, Marsha Johnson, Stormy Delavery, uh, they all uh, were talking with uh, long before the riots started. They were talking with the Mattachine Society because they wanted to protest. The Mattachine Society was protesting in front of the White House for equal rights. And they wanted to join in, but they couldn't because they were transgender. And the uh, gay guys back then had to dress up with a suit and a tie and look decent and all this so they wouldn't get any wisecracks or any of that. That worked uh, because they figured out, uh, like the Brian Epstein with the Beatles with the suits and the ties and all that, uh, appearance makes all the difference in the world. And it worked for them for the most part. They got the posters, but they couldn't have any. Uh, at the time, they couldn't have any drag queens uh, marching with them that would have uh, distracted from what they were trying to say in their protest marches at the time. Uh, but they were working closely together long before the Stonewall riots happened. See, that's a lot of people don't know that. They were having like meetings. They were having like uh, idea sessions on how to uh, uh, further uh, equal rights. All this was going on prior to that. So the, the and I mentioned the Mattachine Society because it was at the time it was the only only representation that uh, the gay community had. So when this all came down, they had help, n- not just transgenders. There were gay men involved, yes. And the Mattachine Society was pretty much all gay men and some lesbians. So it was no secret to anybody what was going on night after night at the Stonewall Inn, getting raided continually and getting the crap beat out of them. So they all knew this was happening. Uh, then it all came to a head. On June 27th, 1969, at 1.20 a.m., they planned to raid this guy, uh, Seymour Pine. He wanted to see more Pine. <laughs> they planned a raid at 1.20 a.m. Uh, to ID everybody and throw everybody in jail and to accomplish, I don't know, nothing. I mentioned the first Stonewall movie because that's the most accurate description of how the riot went down. What happened is they... They went in for their usual raid, expecting to bust heads. And the cops got something they did not expect. Resistance. They got stood up to. And they be- and there's no name for this woman. There was a, there was a uh, lesbian who uh, nobody got her name. So there's no documentation of who she was. Unfortunately, they got the street description of who she was, which was a big bull dyke. And she actually was the catalyst for starting off the riots by, she must have been huge. The cops couldn't get her into the cop car and she forced her way out and she escaped and she started screaming at the cops. And what happened was, luckily, now on Christopher Street and Waverly, that's a very busy area, especially at one in the morning in New York City. A lot of people in that area. And it wasn't just gays, it was straights. It was everybody. It, they were they're just out. It's a Friday night. So they're watching what's going on. And this uh, lesbian woman, who nobody knows her name, I, I guess you could call her the unknown soldier of uh, Stonewall, she started shouting at the crowd, help us and join in or something like that. This is about you too. Let's everybody get involved. And the first wave of people who got involved with this, they started a, a chorus line up against the cops. Oh, no. 
The cops didn't know how to react. And what happened was that the crowd flipped the cops around in such a way where the cops were backing into the Stonewall Inn and then they got trapped in the Stonewall Inn. So all of the transgenders, all of the gays, everybody else were on the outside and the, and the cops were barricading themselves inside the Stonewall Inn. Uh, people tried to set it on fire. Of course, it's made of brick. But they, <laughs> they were throwing uh, lighted bottles like Molotov cocktails at, at the cops. And they were a skit. So there were two undercover women cops in there. Their job was to go into the restroom and see who had a penis or not. That, how would you like to go through uh, police academy and through training and all this to become an officer of the law? And your job is to look at penis. That was their job. So they were going to, the, to ID who was a, a, a real woman or not. They, they had no ideas, kind of like now. So they would look to see if, who had a penis and then they'd arrest them. That was their job. Well, they were trapped in there with the cops too. One of them got out, crawled out on the roof and went to it. They didn't have cell phones. And I guess one guy had a radio and it wasn't working. So uh, she got to a payphone and called for backup. It was like 300 cops showed up and they didn't know what to do. The streets were just shouting, singing, and, and, and tearing the place apart. Uh, the, the Stonewall riots went on all the way up until the following Wednesday. Now, this is where I'm getting at. It was the efforts of transgenders, gay men, lesbians. I guess you could call it genderqueer. That was the first and pretty much the only time where they all band together as one unified front and they won they won because uh, after that new laws were passed the old ones were, were thrown out and a year later they had the first stonewall pride uh, parade in 1970 <laughs> but stonewall was closed because the mob ran they didn't want to get involved in that uh, no and what happened to the Mattachine society uh, well, they lasted up through like the mid-70s, but they eventually disbanded and became all kinds of uh, gay activist organizations. So it just uh, wasn't relevant after a while. There were so many, but you got to give them credit. They were the first and only one for many, many, for about 20 years. So the Stonewall building itself was just uh, empty. <laughs> but then it became a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> huh? I think it was called the One Hung Low. <laughs> and uh, I think it was uh, 1992, they, they reopened it. No, it was 1994, they reopened it as Stonewall. And they got it approved as a uh, national landmark. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, it just, uh, it, you, you, can go, uh, you can go there now. They have tours. I went there. It's there for all to see. And I think in 2015 or 2016, Obama made it a national landmark, so no one's going to touch it now, despite who's in office. So now you know the rest of the story, and it's not just, it has nothing to do with being gay. It can show you what happens, the, the, the advancements you can make if, if people rise up together and in unity, what you can accomplish. That's what it shows you. You got to think about how far out of the box back in 1969, being a transgender or being gay, just being gay. And that was like considered, well, they, they, they even made the PSAs about it. Oh, they, they were uh, predatorial and, uh, and they were pedophiles. Actually, they had it wrong. All along, it was the Catholic Church. But, but that's what it was. It was the fear-based stuff, like what the Republicans and Fox News is using right now. Because that's the easiest emotion, fear. Fire up that fear, and you can get them to go anywhere you want. But if you push back, if you form a united front, like that's what Stonewall means. So you don't gotta be gay to uh, to appreciate uh, the Stonewall riots. It's what happens when everybody takes a stand. I thank you. You look like a guy, and that's the truth. I'd like to get closer. How about you? It's a good time 
for getting it on. We can play chin ball all night long. He's gay, no, no. He's happy gay. He's happy gay. He's happy gay. He's happy gay. Swishing around when we take a bath. Tickle the spot that makes me laugh. Feels so right to be with you. I'll bend over flowers for you. He's gay, no, no. FM 1470 WWNN. I hope I didn't bore you nothing uh, with that uh, long, uh, well, I don't know, a little, I guess, a history lesson because there's so little understanding about it. The way people just accept it on on the surface. It's a, oh, yeah, the Stonewall Pride Parade, 50th anniversary. Yeah, sure. But they don't know what it means. No. And I'm talking about the gay community. Very, very few. You know, I went to, they have a Stonewall Museum in, in this town. And I went there, and there's like, I don't know, two people inside. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know. And I, and I should point out that even back then when we did have a press, when we did have journalism, uh, that wasn't a big story. Yeah. kind of. If, if you were on the West Coast, you didn't hear about it too much. Uh, even, in, uh, even in the city, I don't think that got front page. But, uh, but now you know. So there you go. And that concludes the first half hour of the uh, Brit Summer Show. And uh, if you want to unite with the rest of us and join me on the, on the other side, it is thebritsummershow.com. And uh, just uh, stay tuned because there's going to be a lot more. And everybody on the ground, I'll see you again here next week on 95.3 FM 1470 WWNN. The only licensed transgender broadcaster. Licensed? <laughs> well, you're tuned to the place where you'll hear the truth. It's the Brit Summit Show. And that's the truth. That's the truth, baby! That won't reveal she's got a wiener. He's a lady. He's a lady. Sashes around like a lady. Yeah, the lady's a guy. Well, she doesn't talk very much. She sounds too much like Bowser. Find her on the internet and arouse her for your browser. Sacks like that ain't hard to find, search under golden showers. Men who dress like transvestites aren't really gay. So they say, in her closet she can choose from 200 pairs of shoes. Such a blessing. Takes a permanent hormone, then she lubricates a hole, so there's no messing. He's a lady. La, 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 la. He's a lady. La, 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 la. Don't it out, cause he's a lady. She takes it from behind. Yeah, 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 he's a lady. Red Summer Show, Skyhawk Radio, FYINation.com, SoFloRadio.com, TheBritSummerShow.com. Tune in, Stitcher, Patreon, and of course, SoundCloud, with uh, free downloads made possible by the kind contributions from my listeners. And I, I thank each and every one of you for supporting this show. Uh, I, you know, I've been thinking about... Uh, I mentioned uh, one listener last week. I, I don't know if people want their names mentioned on a podcast or if they mind. If they don't mind, fine. I can make them. I can do like where if you're a contributor to the show, I can make you a sponsor of each show. That's a fun little thing to do. But uh, I, <laughs> that's only with the express permission of people who contribute to this show. Um, and those who can't, I understand. 
those who don't have the ability to send money. Uh, but if you are online uh, and you do enjoy the show, like I said, uh, just uh, promote me, uh, share my linky dink. That's uh, thanks enough. Um, but for those of you who have contributed to the show, I can't thank you enough. There's things coming down the pike that I am not at liberty to talk about right now. Could be good. I don't know. Could be bad. Or as uh, the orange menace, that uh, pile of uh, orange puke would say, we'll see what happens. I, I won't know for sure until next week. Uh, next show, I'll, I'll uh, spill on what that that is about. Not all around bad news. It's just uh, bullshit. But for right now, I'd like to know why Iran would want to sink freighters that are carrying their own products. <laughs> Can anybody figure that one out? I don't know. Oh, look! I, Iran's attacking ships that... Why would they... <laughs> it's carrying their goods on it. What the fuck do they expect us to believe? They're playing this golf and Tonkin game with us again. And for those who aren't familiar, in 1964... Bob McNamara, who was a uh, living, breathing douchebag, uh, dreamed up this Gulf of Tompkins thing. One of our uh, naval vessels were attacked by the Vietnamese, and it was not true. And uh, I have a funny feeling that uh, the supplicant press is uh, spoon-feeding us uh, propaganda and bullshit. I guess at last count, there were four ships attacked. And these are tankers. These are not naval vessels. And the tankers so happened to have... One had uh, uh, processing chemicals on board and the other had uh, uh, Iranian oil. So I ask you, I put the question forth because no one in the press will have the balls to do so. Why would Iranians attack ships carrying their own products? (laughs) Of course, these corrupt assholes in this administration are going to say, Ooh! The uh, Iranians are attacking innocent little freight liners. And the other question I'd like them to ask is, uh, the after these ships are attacked, why is Iran rescuing and treating the crew members that are aboard these ships? No one has died. There's been, uh, by all reports, minor injuries. And by the way, these, these ships are owned by a Japanese guy, a Japanese shipping magnate who uh, happens to agree that Trump and Bolton are both full of shit, and uh, Iran had nothing to do with the attacks. And there seems to be a question on just how they were attacked. The Japanese guy, he insists it was a uh, projectile, probably a, a handheld missile or a uh, explosive drone, which I lean towards, because uh, I think we have those in our inventory. <laughs> Not to say it was us U.S. who, uh, <laughs> they really expect us to buy this. At least with the Gulf of Tonkin, they got their lie straight. They had their lie in order. Now they're uh, <laughs> pulling something off the hulls of the ships and uh, covering the holes. And put. And by the way, one of the uh, suspected devices was a, uh, and it's been com- completely ruled out. In both stories, that it was a torpedo. Torpedoes don't lift up into the sky and then go into the top of the hull, no. They're designed to go to the bottom of the hull. And it's suspected that one of the explosive devices was called a limpet bomb. Yes? (laughs) Now you know where that came from. I wish, I wish, I wish I were a fish Cause fishes have a better life than people Henry! It's me, George Stickle. I'm right here, George. You a fish? You don't know how glad I am to see you, George. Henry! You are Henry! Yeah, the Henry Limpet Bomb. Uh, but, but 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 we're not sure that's what it was, and it sure seems to be a uh, U.S. piloted drone, explosive drone. Yes, uh, <laughs> anything to get us into a war with somebody, somebody. Uh, why distraction? Yes, 
And not to mention that oil is on its way to China. Uh, oil prices have been uh, flat. They're not going down. But with all the alternative fuel now, it, it's like uh, going the way of coal. I would say hopefully within, uh, if we decide to advance as such, within, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 years, oil will be minimized to just uh, household products. If the uh, big oil companies don't, uh, they can, but if they decide to uh, diversify, well, they won't lose a nickel. They won't lose a thin dime, or in Russia's case, they won't lose a ruble. If they decide to do that, uh, we won't need gas for cars anymore. Or if you have a classic car, which I would love to have again someday, you could still get the gasoline, but for new cars, you won't even need it anymore. That's the rosy-colored future I paint, but we're, we're not heading that way now, obviously. But apparently, the big oil have done uh, long-range projections, and uh, they don't see a, a bright future ahead for fossil fuels. And that's, that has a lot to do with this. We've all been through this how many times with the bullshit, with the, the Gulf of Tonkin, which uh, only a few people remember. But more recently... Colin Powell with his little vial, his little vial of uh, baby powder that, or whatever it was, baking soda, that he said was anthrax, uh, and and he lied before the UN, which a bit on that is coming up in just a moment. He seemed awfully carefully planned, uh, and if you ask me, if anybody's going to be behind it, it's gotta be the Saudis. Mister Powell, thank you, and good morning. <clears throat> I'm here to address the United Nations with incontrovertible evidence of Saddam Hussein's elusive weapons of mass destruction. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll just watch the screen in front of you, you will see our renderings of Saddam's arsenal. Now, this is more than just a cartoon. Because we feel Wile E. Coyote is analogous to Saddam. As you can see, he hides quite an arsenal of weaponry in his cave. Now, this scene here proves beyond any shadow of doubt that Saddam is indeed hiding his weapons. Observe the coyote holding his ears in anticipation of destroying his infidel enemy, only to discover his own nuclear warhead pointing up his butt. Now, here in an attempt to escape invading forces, he paints a picture on a rock, no pun intended, thinking of course he can run through the picture he painted. I hereby submit this as conclusive proof and look forward to your support. Thank you. It's Brit Summers at the Brit Summers Show. Get steeper to help build you to Memories of the buildings remaining with us still of them falling and falling. Just forget it all, they know you will. Never place the blame on the Saudis, even when it's them who are causing bad things going on. All that's going wrong, not the Saudis. Never place the blame on the Saudis. All right is holding hands with the wrongies. Devastation and sorrow, they're always in the shadows. 
very close buddies with a crazy little monkey. They get away with murder, and you always look at the other. Way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never place the blame on the Saudis. Deny the truth and don't blame the Saudis. It's our souls they own, and us they always bone. It's the Saudis. Never place the blame on the Never place the blame on the Saudis. They're our friends and closest allies who like to rub glowing balls and hate women. You're listening to the Brit Summer Show. Before we wrap this week, it just something silly came to mind. Uh, I told. Oh, by the way, uh, update on Crime Story on Amazon Prime. Uh, season one, great. Season two, you could see why it went off the air. <laughs> they they just kind of got bored, I guess. Uh, and the uh, latest binge for me was a recommendation from my sister. Who I, I, I have ignored this uh, show uh, for some time. And, and now I'm watching, I'm binging the hell out of this thing. And it's called Lucifer. And I got to tell you, it is not what I expected. It, it's not what you expect. It's funny. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great show. And I did some little research on it, catching up, because I've never seen it before. It's worth a watch, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, it was on Fox, and the ratings were high, but it's about Satan. It's about the devil. And has, as expected, Family Research Council and a Thousand Moms and uh, the usual Christian assholes all descended upon Fox to get rid of the show. Take it. He's too charming, which he is. The star of the show, Tom Ellis, has like channeled every Cary Grant mannerism in this. <laughs> he's just, he's devilishly handsome and devilishly charming, and they have a lot of fun with it. It's one of those shows that uh, Netflix picked up after being ca- a popular show that gets canceled. And Netflix is smart. They pick it up. There's, there's no reason for it to be off the air. So uh, there's two extra seasons. Well, there's, there's an extra season, and they're coming out with an, an additional season. And I got to say, if this is a new trend in binge shows, you don't get just a chintzy six or ten episode season. They make 24 episodes a season. I hope that's a new thing, because uh, it's like uh, Mrs. Maisel, you get ten but the reason I'm bringing this up is because one of the co-stars on it was, uh, of all people, Tom Welling of Superboy fame. Superboy from the 90s, Tom Welling. And since this was uh, primarily a gay-themed show, oh, he was the poster child for uh, a lot of uh, gay men and at the time. And especially my boss, Neil Rogers. He was all about Tom Welling. When that show was a so who who who's this Tom Welling? Is he Canadian? And uh, and at the time, yeah, he was a handsome guy. But now, what what was that? Not twenty years later, uh, he got all puffy. He didn't get fat, but he got puffy. So <laughs> back then, because Neil wouldn't stop talking about Tom Welling. Uh, and the reason I'm playing this bit, I, I played it before, recently as a matter of fact, but I'm playing it again because you hear me bitching and whining and fetching about uh, the new parody so-called artists out there. And in my tribe of uh, parody artists, I'm proud to say, uh, we all created our own productions. We, I was our very, very, very little karaoke, as I've always said. If it was a rush job and had to go overnight, because these music beds, depending on, on what it was, could have taken days. My uh, inventory was shipped out weekly, uh, and I had enough time to produce my own music beds. Uh, I had a full music studio, keyboard, guitar. Uh, yeah, I used a drum machine because I couldn't use a kit. It just wouldn't have worked. And... Uh, a wonderful software mixing program which no longer exists. Everything I used back then <sighs> no longer exists. Most of that equipment is gone. All I have left is my guitar. But some of the beds I put together, I, 
Hey, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm proud of them. I, I put a lot of work into these music beds. And for some reason, I had no fundamental music training. Everything I did was by ear. Put that on my epitaph, please. Uh, and uh, so I, I didn't know how to read or write a chart. So when I had to make a big band or uh, charted song, it, it was all done by ear. And it would take a couple days to pull it off. I remember burning the midnight oil all the way to like 5, 6 in the morning and not even knowing where the time went because I was enjoying it so much. To me, it was like putting a puzzle together. Uh, and, and sometimes it came out really good, sometimes not so good. But my good ones, you'll hear me playing them a lot. And the only reason I'm playing this one again is because, yes, I did do this music bed and I'm goddamn proud of it. Uh, and it, you'll be hard-pressed to hear... <laughs> any parody artists, including Randy Rainbow, who uses karaoke's. I'm sorry. Uh, Everybody relies heavily on karaoke. And here is the problem with that. And I've said it many times before. You can't make a karaoke funny. You can't embellish. You can edit it, which I've done. But you cannot uh, make the music funny. So that's what bought me a house was that I not only did funny parodies, but I also did funny music beds to accompany them with. So with that being said, let's go back 20 years to when when Tom Welling actually looked good. Hey, swell, Tom Welling, my Superman. He gets me swelling here in my hand. That boy's got me swooning like a poopy queen. I want him to do me, he's so smooth and clean. He's way too pretty, he can't be straight. I get a stiffy, and oh, he's gay. Gets my taint a quiver, watching Superman. And I'm willing, I'm willing to grab. He swell, Tom Welling, my Superman. That too will give me a swollen laugh. Well, he may be in Smallville, but he's not small at all. He's sweet and dreamy, a god from space. I want. Is creamy all on my face. Get my taint a quiver watching Superman. And Tom Willing, I'm willing, Tom Willing, I'm willing, Tom Willing, I'm willing. You have been listening to the Brit Summer Show on FYINation.com, Sky II Hawk Radio, SoFloRadio.com, the Brit Summer Show. Tune in, sit your Patreon, and uh, congratulations goes out to Randy Rhodes Broward! for landing her show on an on air gig in San Francisco. Real Talk 910. Congratulations to Randy Rhodes. You got to get the messages out there. She does her homework. And as a talk show hosts go, she's been at it for like a million years. She's been on radio, uh, geez, before I met her in 1993. And uh, I hope more stations pick her up. In fact, she's uh, retooled her show for quarterly breaks and uh, and cleaned up the uh, language and all that. So it's no, if you, even if you listen online, it doesn't sound like a podcast. It sounds like a radio program. I guess these uh, station owners are discovering that if you want to carry what could be a radio show that is an existing podcast, kind of like this one, uh, we work cheap. We work cheap. And those of us who have been in the business for some time understand the rules, and we clean up nicely. We uh, make the show uh, PG-13 or whatever you want to call it. We take all the dirty words out. And if you've heard the radio version of my broadcast... (laughs) You'll know that you're you're hearing like maybe a quarter of the show (laughs) because it's heavily butchered. But I don't have to do that. I mean, if this thing ever was syndicated at different stations and different markets and and expanded to an hour, which 
uh, I guess by podcast standards, that means, well, we're having a format change. That means we're changing how long the show is. Uh, I would do that. And I know what you're listening to is an hour-long show, but on the air, I'm only, I'm only on the air for a half hour, which is enough for now. And, and that's uh, due for some changes down the road. Again, tune in for that on my next show. But that's the way I see the world from here for now. And until the next time, this is Brit Summer saying, Sarah Fuckabee Sanders will be waddling out of the building. Bye, bye, bye. Popeye. <laughs>